Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me over to Romans chapter 1. Last week, we began a verse-by-verse study through this marvelous book of Romans. I've given it the theme title. There are many themes you could give it, many names you could give it. I've given it the name Romans, God's marvelous plan for man. And that really is what it is. It is a marvelous plan. I've entitled the message today, A Truly Biblical Worldview. A Truly Biblical Worldview. It is popular today to talk about the need for us to have a biblical worldview. We hear that a lot. We hear that especially since the rise of teaching biblical creationism, or not not the rise of it, but the widespread manifestation of it, I should say. Well, rise, I guess, would fit too. Not that the Bible has changed. The Bible hasn't changed, but we have men stepping up scientists, men who know what they're talking about and have said, no, you know what? It is creation. It is not evolution. And we need to see things from God's perspective, have confidence in the word of God, that it is indeed the word of God, all of it, okay, including the first 11 chapters of Genesis and the book of Jonah and the book of Daniel and everything from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22 at the end of the chapter. So it is popular for us to talk, and in Christendom today, it is popular to talk about having a biblical worldview, and I agree with that. And what this means, if you haven't heard the term before, what it means is that you see the world the way God sees the world through the pages of Scripture, through the pages of Scripture. But many times we have a problem, and I was thinking about this this week, Many times we have a problem because the truth of it is we do not go far enough with this. Now, uh, a lot of people will hear that and they say, oh, I see where he's going with this message. Honestly, you probably don't. What do I mean? Here it is. We see it as God intended it to be, but here's the problem that we don't go far enough with. We fail to introduce the foundation of true change. In other words, we'll say we need to have a biblical worldview, but what a lot of people think we mean by that is adopting the morals of Christianity without getting the foundation right to begin with. That's not a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview begins with the true foundation. Then it builds upon that. Do we believe that Christians ought to live their lives for Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But here's the difference, folks. You've got a false gospel being preached today called lordship salvation or discipleship salvation or faith plus work salvation being propagated today. And that is not, and they'll say, well, this is the biblical worldview. I'm sorry, your biblical worldview is not the right one. Because it doesn't begin with the true gospel. And so what they're saying to people is you not only have to believe, but you also have to do good works if you're going to make it to heaven. That is not biblical at all. It's understanding the true gospel that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That is the foundation. And then from that, yes, once we are born again, We are true children of God, and we have the privilege to grow and develop as children of God. By the way, eternal children of God, because that's the only kind God has. If you can lose your salvation, you don't have salvation. Let me go further. Listen. If you have to wait till you die to find out whether you were saved or not, or whether you persevered or not, you probably don't have it either. 
because you're looking at your performance as the grounds for whether you have salvation or not. Friends, that is a work-based message that does not bring salvation. What is the foundation? It is the need of salvation through the gospel. That is our foundation. And what we want people to have, yes, we want them to have a biblical worldview, but it is built on the truth of God. It is not built on Calvinism or a Reformation theology or the perseverance of the saints, which is lordship salvation. No. Romans 1, we're just going to read verses 1 through 7. Romans 1, it says, uh, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, we're going to talk more about that in a moment, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, or called saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty hefty introduction to a letter. You know, we just say, dear so-and-so, and we're off with it, right? Off to the races we go. Or nowadays, we don't even put that. We just start in. Many times you'll, you'll get responses and emails from people. They don't even say, hi, so-and-so. They'll just start right in like it's a big text message or something. Anyways, things have changed. Romans chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. First, here we go. I love it. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole World. Now, I find this to be a fascinating verse and a challenging one at that. We get the idea today that it is hard to be faithful to the Lord in such a sinful world. We'll say, oh, it's so hard to live for the Lord today. There's all these temptations. There's all these things bombarding us and all of that kind of, of stuff. But folks, let's understand the context here. <laughs> Paul is writing to Christians who are living in Rome. Rome was about as bad as it gets. Okay, well, maybe Rome and Corinth were kind of uh, competing for how perverse you could get. But he is writing to believers in this very carnal, very degenerate, very perverse place. Okay, Rome fell from within because of their perversion and corruption. That's how they fell. And yet at the same time, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So these people had some strength about them. Not a perfect church, but a strong church. Yet they were faithful. You can write this down as a, as a summary of just that statement before we get into the rest of the text here. Listen to this. Faithfulness is a choice. It is not based on circumstances. The Roman believers proved it. Faithfulness is a choice. It is not based on circumstances. Listen, folks, especially those who come to our church here, and the amount of truth, not just from me, but from all the people that we hear from who are speaking the truth of God, teaching and preaching the word of God, Sunday school teachers, the emphasis here on being in your Bible, reading the scriptures. Folks, faithfulness is a choice. It's not based on circumstances. 
You notice they were being faithful witnesses with the gospel. That's how people were hearing about them. And secondly, I got a question for you and for me. What is the reputation of our church? Interesting. What is the reputation of our church? What are we known for in the community? I hope we're known for our position on the gospel and our commitment to the gospel of grace. I hope that's what we're known for. Okay, we can be known for a lot of things. I hope we're known for that. I hope we're known for our love for one another in our church here. Okay, now listen, I know that for any church, this would be true. There are people at times who will get disgruntled and leave, okay, and then they'll, and then they'll do what, what uh, probably one of the worst things they could ever do is go on to social media and start blasting a church, whether it's this one or another one, over social media. Let me tell you something. When people start ripping on churches on social media, okay, I'm going to call them a name. They're cowards. They're cowards. Why don't you go to the leadership and talk to them? And if you can't get anywhere with the leadership, or maybe you're wrong and the leadership will help you see it. And then you can have a change of mind. You can repent and get right and start serving the Lord again. Or do this. If you can't get anywhere with them, then why don't you do this? Why don't you just be quiet? And you can talk about a bad experience. Just don't bring up the name. You don't know everything that's going on with that. Anyways, I didn't plan on saying that, but folks, I've been in this long enough to know there are a lot of people, a lot of pastors who have been falsely accused of a lot of stuff. And when you hear the real story, see, here's the thing. People can launch out into social media and they blast and they blast and they blast and they rip and all this kind of stuff. But if the pastor went to social media and started talking about them and what they did, and how, no, that's not true, and this is what really happened, and, and started, started uh, displaying all the dirty laundry of the whole situation and all that, there'd be some lawsuits going on, right? See, the church is supposed to just take it, and it's okay, and we do, or they do, all of us do, all the churches in, in, who, are, who are in this way. Here's the truth of it. Jesus promised something. He promised persecution, to those who live godly in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3.12. So we should not be surprised, by the way, John 15 also, we should not be surprised when the world and carnal Christians rip on us because that goes with the package, okay? Now let's move on. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Number one, what we're going to look at as we continue on in the text, we're going to see in verses 9 through 12, Paul's prayer for the believers in Rome. Paul's prayer for them. It says in verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers... What did Paul pray for them? Read on. Making a request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established, strengthened as a church. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now the spiritual gift here is simply what they would receive from him through 
instruction as he ministered to them and as he taught them. This is not talking about one of the spiritual gifts mentioned in scripture. He had a gift for them and it was spiritual in nature is basically what he's saying. This is clear from verse 12. That is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, by the mutual faith. He was anxious to teach them the truth of God and see the blessing that would come from that, okay? But secondly, we see in verses 13 through 17, Paul's passion for the gospel. So we first see Paul's prayer for the believers in Rome. Then we see Paul's passion for the gospel. Boy, I spent some time thinking about this this week. I just sat back, thought about it, went back to the first time I ever heard the gospel. And when I first heard the gospel, folks, I was in shock. I was in shock. Maybe it's the same with some of you. Salvation is a gift? Well, I'd never heard that before. I don't have to work for it or work to keep it? Never heard that before. I can know right now I'm going to heaven? Right now? Never heard that before. I was in shock. And I stood there staring as I'm looking at the verses in the Bible where I didn't even know there was such a thing as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 or John three sixteen or 1 John five thirteen, And there's the open Bible and I'm seeing it. And as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, this can't be true. And then the Holy Spirit is putting thoughts in my mind. And I wasn't even saved yet, but he's putting thoughts in my mind saying, but it is true, it's in my Bible. But this is different than everything I've been taught. Yeah, but you've been taught by man and this is what God has to say. See, one thing I learned being raised Roman Catholic, we know there's, there's all the wrong things that the Catholic Church may teach, but one thing I learned and I'm grateful for, we were taught that the Bible was the word of God. That's what we were taught. And so God used that, that special night, August 2nd, 1972, in my life to let me see this is what it is. This is the importance of it. So powerful. I was in shock when I saw it. And we ought to have this passion for the gospel because it is the only message that brings salvation. Verse 13, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was led hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Paul wanted to go back to Rome because he was looking to be able to preach the gospel again in Rome and see some fruit to see people saved. You notice he says, but was let hitherto. Now that's a word we don't usually use that term nowadays, but the word let means to be hindered. He said, I wanted to come, but I was hindered so far. We don't know what hindered him, but Paul was looking, he was looking to bear some fruit in Rome. Now this fruit bearing was not something accidental. Do you notice that? He didn't say, well, you know, I'm coming to Rome and as the spirit leads, hopefully something will be accomplished. (laughs) No, he says, I'm coming to Rome to be fruitful. I'm coming to Rome looking for souls. It was intentional. It wasn't accidental. He wanted to see souls won when he came to Rome. He had confidence in the message and in the power of the gospel. That's where his confidence was. He figured, you know what? I'm going to be faithful with this message and I'm going to watch God work in people's lives because this is the power of God unto salvation. 
This was a major motivation in Paul's life, the power of the gospel, the power of the message. What about you and me? Now, what we see in the next several verses, we see three major qualities Paul had that made him effective as a servant of Christ. We truly see, by the way, here you go, we truly see a truly 100% biblical worldview. As a matter of fact, the rest of chapter one deals with a 100% truly biblical worldview. And it begins with the gospel of grace, pure and clear and true to the word of God. Verse 14, I am a debtor, or I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Who are the barbarians? They're Minnesota Viking fans. (laughs) Or... Minnesota hockey fans. You ever been to a hockey game? My wife and I had never been to one, so what was it, two years ago, I think, or so, we went to a hockey game over at at, at St. Cloud State University. Great hockey team. And we went. It's a different crowd. (laughs) Different crowd. And I won't tell you all the different things they were doing and the sounds and the things they were saying, but it is a different crowd. Let me just put it this way. Read your Bible before you go to a hockey game, okay? (laughs) He says, I'm debtor. I'm a debtor. He was a debtor. This is how he saw his life. This is the way his mind was working. What is a debtor? That's someone who owes something to another. Now, You might say, wait a minute. I thought when we get saved, we're free. We are. While he was free from all men, his burden for souls made him see his responsibility as a debt to pay to other people. Hold your place and look with me to 1 Corinthians 9. And I want you to see this. Now, we won't cover this whole passage, but let me say this, friends. Paul talks about that he is free as a believer. That's true. Brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Freedom. When we get saved, and and what does Paul teach in Galatians? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. Okay? Stand fast in the liberty. You might say, free. Hoo-hoo. Great. I am free. Yes, we are free. But you see, if we use our freedom to sin and to do wrong, we will not be experiencing freedom. We're going to experience bondage because sin always brings bondage and destruction with it. So let's understand that. God has freed us to walk in this marvelous salvation. And as we do, we can experience, once we're saved, the abundant Christian life. But Paul... He was free, yet his burden for souls made him see his responsibility as a debt to pay. 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 16, it says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Verse 17, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. If I do it willingly. You might say, well... Shouldn't everything we do as Christians be willing? Yes, but you know what? That's not realistic, is it? Here's the truth of it, folks. There are times that are very intimidating that we find ourselves in. 
And sometimes we know what we ought to do, and sometimes we do it, and sometimes we don't. But Paul said this, you know what, if I do it willingly, I'll be rewarded for that. But read on. But if against my will, a dispensation, a stewardship, a responsibility of the gospel is committed unto me, against my will. Do you know there are Christians who are teaching today that you shouldn't do anything against your will because you're forcing yourself to do something and that is legalism. That's what they're teaching. That is absolutely false. Disobedience. Well, obedience is not legalism. Disobedience is not acceptable. Disobedience is still disobedience. Here's the issue. If God wants me to do something I don't want to do, the problem is not with God, the problem is with me. What I need to do is confess my sin to God, repent, have a change of attitude, and then do what God has called me to do. That's how the Christian life is supposed to work. By the way, that's what brings fruit, and that's what brings transformation to a Christian's life. See, here's the truth of it. He felt everyone had the right to hear the gospel. Everyone. I'm a debtor to all mankind, is basically what he's saying in Romans 1.14. Question for you today, for us, do we feel that way? Do we see our responsibility to share the gospel with others as a debt we owe? That verse is in the Bible. It's not there accidentally. That's for us. Many Christians today think that they shouldn't be burdened in any way, but just be free-spirited. Oh, I'm saved. Life is good. Life is lovely. Ha, ha, ha. And just flitter around like a butterfly. Okay, this is is the way life is supposed to be for Christians. No cares in the world and none of this kind of stuff. Friend, listen, while we are enjoying fellowship with God, and we ought to do that, there are people who don't even know what it means, who aren't have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And don't fool yourself. Don't think, well, it's all over the United States. No, it's not. Not like it ought to be. This idea that we shouldn't be burdened in any way, but just free-spirited, that's not biblical. Or what people do because they want to shirk their responsibility. I'm going to give you a statement, and I want to qualify it. But what some of these people, some of these people do is they become Calvinists. Well, you know, God has his elect anyway, he's chosen and, and so forth. They're, they're going to get saved, you know. And what it does, now I know a lot of Calvinists still believe they ought to share their faith, which is kind of interesting because here's the truth of it. Well, yeah, we ought to share our faith. But you know what? See, if you're a true Calvinist, here's what you believe. If I don't share my faith with so-and-so, they're going to hear it anyway if they're one of God's elect. So I'll just let God take care of it. There's a problem with that. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. We have a responsibility, folks. And we can say all the things, I'm not qualified, I'm too afraid, I'm this and that. We still have a responsibility. I know that troubles us. I know that convicts us. But you know what? Maybe we ought to be a little bit troubled and convicted sometimes. See, here's the truth. If Calvinism is true, then why did Paul have a burden? Or feel a debt, if it's true. It makes no sense. The truth of God is this. We as Christians now have a responsibility. Can I tell you this, folks? That's why we've been left here. Years ago, I led a a junior high kid. I used to do junior high youth ministry. Some of the sweetest years 
of my Christian life. Where's Mark? Mark, you and, oh, he's in the foyer. There you are, okay. Kind of envy you, working with the youth, starting a youth ministry. Uh, what a sweet time that is to work with young people and get them, just take that energy and get it channeled to serving Christ. Get it going in that direction. That's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Anyways, I can remember leading this one junior higher Lord, and it's, it's like, well, so here's, a, I got a question for you. Yeah, what is it? Here's my question. If God loves us so much, and if he saves us and he gives us the everlasting life when we trust in Christ, and if he loves us so much and, and, and wants to be with us, why doesn't he just take us to heaven? Why doesn't he just take us to heaven? That's a good question, by the way. Why does he leave us here to go through all of this? He leaves us here to reproduce. Not, I'm not talking about physical reproduction. I'm talking about spiritual reproduction. He leaves us here to reach other people for Christ. Verse 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. The second thing here, we see this second quality. He was ready, okay? First, he was, he was a debtor. Secondly, he was ready. The word ready here means eager and willing. Eager and willing. Paul says, I am eager. I am willing. He was ready to preach the gospel at Rome or in Rome, okay? This would be the mindset that goes hand in hand with seeing that we have a debt to pay to those in the world. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Interesting how these things go together. I am a debtor. Oh, I don't want to be in debt. I am ready. Well, not right now. Verse 16 comes along and says, what's the problem? Are you ashamed? You know, folks, that just doesn't make any sense, does it? Now, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about it. It just doesn't make any sense. If through the message of the gospel, I receive eternal life, I become an eternal child of God, I'm saved forever no matter what, If that is true, why in the world would I be ashamed to share it? Makes no sense. Here's what Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We see he was a debtor, he was ready, and third, he was not ashamed. He was not ashamed. If the truth of the Bible about man's condition is true... And if the truth of the gospel is the only truth that can deliver man, why would any Christian be ashamed of the message? If somebody doesn't hear it, yes, they will be lost forever in hell. Now, I know people freak out about that. And no, friend, listen, God is pulling, God is convicting, God is drawing, yes. But we are the vehicles, to get the message to those who are being convicted, okay? And God convicts them, and, and, and they're open to the truth. And we're the ones who come along and deliver the package, okay? Uh, Brian, we're the UPS of God's army. He was not ashamed, which leads us to our third point. You notice in verse 16, 
For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Number three, the one condition for salvation, we see it in verses 16 through 17. I am spending the rest of the message here today. The one condition for salvation, verses 16 and 17, it is found in the word believe. Believe. The word believe means to trust in or rely upon or depend Upon The noun form of the word is faith, pistuo, okay? That's the noun form of the word. The verb form is to believe. So we need to have faith in Christ. What do you mean? You need to put your faith in Christ. You see, you need to believe. You need to trust in him. When you understand that you cannot save yourself by your good works, by faithful living, and you trust in Jesus Christ and him alone to save you instead, believing that he paid for your sins in full, he saves you the moment you trust in him, and he gives you everlasting life. What do you mean saved? Next week, we're talking about what salvation means. What do you mean saved? To deliver you in this immediate context, to deliver you from hell, to heaven. How? Through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how we are saved. And that is the message that we have to share with people, and we need to keep it just like the Bible says it, okay? Let me tell you, it is not faith in commitment. It is not faith in reformation. It is not faith in baptism. It is not faith in good works. It is not faith in surrender. It is not faith in walking forward. It is not faith by making promises with God. It is not faith in turning from your sin. It is faith and faith alone in Christ. Okay? Where does repentance comes in? I'll tell you where repentance comes in. Repentance is a change of mind. That's what it is. And repentance, in other words, repentance means you come to the point where you understand your predicament. You understand you can't save yourself. You understand good works won't save you. You understand you're a lost sinner in need of a savior. And what you do then is you trust in Jesus Christ. In other words, you have a change of mind, you see your need, your condition, and you trust in Christ. But it's the faith in Christ that saves. Now if there's no change of mind, if you still think you can earn it or work for it or deserve it or can change your life enough to get you to heaven, then you have not had a change of mind. You haven't repented. The word repent, every time, every time in the New Testament when it is used in reference to salvation, it is the word metanoeo or metanoia, and it means a change of mind, every time. There are a couple other words in the Bible translated as repentance, okay, and they have a little different meaning, but every time it has to do with salvation, it means a change of mind or a change in thinking, every time. Metanoia, it is a compound word. Meta, another, noia the mind, to have another mind, to think differently. That's repentance, and that's where that fits in. But when it comes to the point where what, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> it's faith in Christ. It's to believe. That is what brings salvation, and this is exactly what Paul says. Let me ask you a question in verse 16. Do you see anything other than believe in verse 16? Is there anything else? Anybody? There's nothing else. 
Do you know there are some people who have the gall to say, well, what it says in verse 16 is true, but it's not all the truth. You're a blasphemer. Okay, you're a blasphemer. When you understand you can't save yourself and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he saves you forever. You've put your faith in him. You've trusted in him. You have believed in Christ as your savior. And when you do, he brings you everlasting life. I'm going to give you some verses, rapid fire here. All right, you can turn if you're that quick with your fingers. We'll put them on the screen. Let me give them to you. A small sample. John chapter one, verse 12. But to as many, or but as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that, what's the next word? Believe on his name. There's that word. Notice the condition to becoming a son of God or a child of God, that you believe on his name. What does that mean? Jesus, it mean, he, that word means, that name means God who will save you. God who will save you. Okay? When you believe in him, when you put your faith in him, you're trusting in him that he is God who will save you. That's why we say trust him as your savior. Do we see that? John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you see any other condition in verse 16 than belief? By the way, Jesus said that. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, look at this, verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Do you see any other condition there but believe? No. He that believeth on him is not condemned. The next phrase, he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he's not believed. If you believe, you're not condemned. If you don't believe, you're already condemned. By the way, the fact that you're already condemned proves that you're not saved by your works because people who trust in their works think they have to live a faithful life and then find out in the end. No, God says you're already condemned because your faith is in you, not in Christ. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In verse 18, three times you see the word believe. Do you see anything else as a condition for salvation? No, no. Friends, this is worth dying for and this is worth living for. Jump down the page a little bit. John the Baptist. Oh, people think, oh, John the Baptist. Man, he told people, you need to turn from all your sin. You need to, you know, change your life. You need to all these, uh, no, no, no. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what he meant by the word repent. I just told you what he meant by the word repent. And by the way, that's proven in Acts chapter 19. Paul explains what John was saying. Read it, not not now, but read it sometime. John chapter 19, it's very clear. But here, John the Baptist is the one speaking in John 3, 36. He says, he that believeth on the Son hath possesses now everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth, is condemned already, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Friends, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, there is a dark cloud following you around. It's called the wrath of God. And if you die 
without faith alone and Christ alone, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on you. A couple pages over, John 5, 24. Jesus is speaking, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed or has passed from death unto life. Believe. You see it in verse 24. Believe. John chapter 6, verse 47, Jesus speaking again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath, possesses right now, everlasting life. Let's move on to another book, Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. You know the story, Paul and Silas in the jail in uh, Philippi. Earthquake, the doors fly open. Jailer's going to kill himself. And he's been listening to them singing hymns all night. He's going to kill himself. Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. Verse 30, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a loaded question. They could have told him anything. Here's what they said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Do you see anything else there but that? No. No. Why? Because it's all there is. That's why. Romans chapter 4, moving on. Romans 4, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. There you have it. The verb form, believeth. Faith, the noun form. Same root word. The one condition. God counts your faith in Christ as righteousness. What a wonder that is. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, not faith in. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. As our good friend Freddie Coyle says, faith, 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 faith. <laughs> Freddie, if you're watching, that's for you. One last one. I think you're getting the point. I could give you many more. One last one because of time. 1 John 5, 13. Oh my, when I first saw this. What glory. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You have every reason because you, you have the assurance of salvation. You know it's true. You know it's true. What do you need to do to have eternal life? Believe on the name of the Son of God. It's written to those who have. And God says, those of you who've trusted in my Son as your Savior, you can know you have eternal life. And I'm writing this to you so that you can be sure, you can rest assured you have eternal life because you've believed in my Son. That's what God is saying. So what do we see in all these verses? We see the sufficiency of believing. This is a big deal, folks. This is a big deal. We see the sufficiency of believing. If this is true and brings salvation, then to add anything to the gospel makes it a false message, which is accursed by God. This is where a truly biblical worldview begins. <laughs> you can start thinking Christian all you want, but if you die without having trusted Christ alone as Savior, you're not going to heaven. You had a defective worldview, thinking it was right. 
but in fact it was wrong. Start with the foundation, then build from there. Two points of application today. One is this, if you have not believed or trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you do that today? You might say, well, I disagree with your conclusion on all of this. Let me tell you something, friend. It's as clear as can be. And here's the truth of it. I'm not in danger of anything. It's you who's in danger. Because you are rejecting the clear statements of Scripture. Oh, I know there's other passages that people will use. Yeah, but what about this passage? Yeah, but what about that? One of the, uh, my wife and I were just talking about this. I think it was either, well, it was either yesterday or today. I don't remember. Okay. You always interpret unclear passages by clear ones. Never the other way around. You don't take a clear verse like John 3.16 or John 6.47 and say, well, it really doesn't mean that because over here it says, no. Listen, that is an elementary rule of Bible interpretation. If you've not trusted Christ as Savior, then do it now. Secondly, if you are saved, are you living out this more complete biblical worldview? It begins with the gospel. Then do we build on that? Yes, but let's get people saved before we start talking to them about how they're supposed to think and and how they're supposed to change this and change that. Friends, let's get them to heaven, okay? Get them to heaven. Get them saved. Then, yes, we can disciple people, and we ought to disciple people once they're saved. By the way, another name for this false, accursed, lordship salvation message is discipleship salvation that you have to be a follower of christ if you're going to make it to heaven false false if salvation is a gift all you need to do is believe because that's what the bible says i don't know about you i'm going to side with jesus okay i'm going to side with jesus yeah but dr so-and-so what about dr god What about Dr. God? You know what? I think he's got a better handle on it than anybody else. I'm going to believe what he said. Jesus said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath, possesses right now, everlasting life. It's just that simple. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.